We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. It's time to end Obamacare now. For the past eight years, we have been suffering under President Obama's ridiculous policies. The worst of which... Obamacare. And you know why it's bad. It raised premiums, it decreased patient choice, and it made people even more dependent on government. But when President-elect Trump takes office on January 20th, we can finally repeal Obamacare. But there are liberals in D.C. who are conspiring to save it. And the only way we can stop them is if we get grassroots activists like you to stand up to them and pledge to help President-elect Trump repeal Obamacare on day one. So stand with President-elect Trump and go to www.repealobamacarenow.com. Get involved. Help repeal Obamacare. If you don't act now, we won't be able to make a difference. If you want lower premiums, better health care, we need to repeal Obamacare on day one. And that's why you need to go to www.repealobamacarenow.com. It's time to take advantage of this historic opportunity and see how freedom works. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in tonight here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. This is the Steve Day Show, hosted by me, hence the original title. We love to know what you think about what we think. Let us know, please. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on in this hour, the state of the Second Amendment post-election and heading into a Trump presidency. Larry Pratt of Gun Owners for Amer- Gun Owners of America will join us to discuss that coming up a little bit later on. But to, I want to begin tonight's show by providing a, a living, breathing example why the Fourth Estate, otherwise known as the media in this country, is on life support, why it's imploding. As, as you like to say, Todd, the state of media, your tagline, your catchphrase is? Uh, magical and not at all broken. Yeah, journalism is magical and not at all broken, he says, uh, sarcastically, tongue-in-cheek. How'd you only pick one example? There's so many to choose from. This, this is one of the worst I've ever seen, what I'm going to share with you tonight. This comes courtesy of the Washington Examiner. So I saw this story floating around social media today about some uh, apparently nasty comments Speaker Paul Ryan made about America's school lunch program. They really, they really seem to be insensitive. In fact, if you're, 
if you do what I do for a living when I'm not on the radio, you sit there and think to yourself, this is not the messaging that you're looking for, right? Especially it's Christmas time. You don't want to give the media a chance to caricature you as as Scrooge, right? Okay. Except this entire story that's been making the rounds today is fake news. By the way, I got to give Mike Huckabee credit where credit is deserved. I know at times my old friend has exasperated us in this election. But dude, dude dropped a dime today. People were getting on him about his comments yesterday that Ben Carson's going to be the first HUD secretary that actually has lived in government housing. And it turns out that's not true. And so they came back at Huckabee with, hey, you're asserting something that's not true. Mike responded today with, you're right. I need to make a correction. I got that. I got that tidbit from the fake news site called the New York Times. That's very well played. All right. Very well played. Um, but there is all this hand-wringing around fake news, right? And when the liberal media talks about fake news, they're talking about the things that we had to push back against fiercely during the primary. I don't blame them. The, 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 the Printleys, the conservative treehouses, the, the red state report, these fake sites that were essentially Trump shill sites, the one we talked about a couple of weeks ago that ran the story about uh, Amish Trump voters and people being paid to protest Trump rallies, that all these stories that are just not true and have been debunked, right? I agree those things are a cancer. But if you want to know why there are people turning to them in droves, why people turn to a nitwit like Alex Jones, why do they do this? Some people are mind-numbed, right? History has shown some people just aren't the brightest bulb in the chandelier. Sometimes, though, it's a reaction to what is happening in the market currently. And this Paul Ryan story is a great example. It turns out that this headline-making news today is actually, a, is actually from two years ago. In fact, it's from well over two years ago. It's almost from three years ago. Because these were comments Paul Ryan made at CPAC. Which, if you know, if you've ever been there, it takes place in February, March every year. It's... So today, it's, it's December. That, so this is almost the end of 2016. So this is almost a full three years ago. Here's, what, here's exactly the transcript of what Paul Ryan said at CPAC in 2014. Quote, The left isn't just out of ideas, it's out of touch. Take Obamacare. We now know that this law will discourage millions of people from working, and the left thinks this is a good thing. They say, hey, this is a new freedom, the freedom not to work. But I don't think the problem is too many people are working. I think the problem is not enough people can find work. And if people leave the workforce, our economy will shrink. There will be less opportunity, not more. So the left is making a big mistake here. What they're offering people is a full stomach but an empty soul. The American people want more than that. This reminds me of a story I heard from Eloise Anderson. She serves in the cabinet of my friend Governor Scott Walker. She once met a young boy from a poor family, and every day at school he would get a free lunch from a government program. But he told Eloise he didn't want a free lunch. He wanted, to, he wanted his own lunch, one in a brown paper bag, just like the other kids had. He wanted one, he said, because he knew a kid with a brown paper bag had someone who cared about him. That's what the left just doesn't understand. We don't want people to leave the workforce. We want them to share their skills and talents with the rest of us. 
And people don't just want a life of comfort. They want a life of dignity, of self-determination. A life of equal outcomes is not nearly as enriching as a life of equal opportunity. The party that speaks to that desire, that tries to make tries to make it concrete and real, that's the party that will win in November. By the way, that is really eloquent. I mean, that's really well said, really articulate. So those are that's the transcript of Paul Ryan's 2014 CPAC speech. Here is how Time Magazine framed these comments nearly three years ago, which for reasons only Allah knows, the media has decided to resurrect today. Paul Ryan says free school lunches give kids an empty soul. Here's how a few people in the media reacted to this Time Magazine story, because they're a pack. And they and, and herds hunt in packs. So they respond, they go after the same piece of meat once they see it. Um, Peter Nikias, who's a writer for the Chicago Tribune, tweeted, and I quote, F this guy. Kids have to eat. Full disclosure, at various times as a kid, I got free or reduced lunch and milk at school. Matt Lidner, another Chicago Tribune writer, quote, Paul Ryan, a rich white guy opining about free school lunches giving hungry kids an empty soul. All kinds of other people weighing in. Here's another member of the the media saying, F. Paul Ryan. By the way, is there... Did we just lose all semblance of professionalism in this profession? This is now acceptable Apparently, for, for, for members of the media to just to communicate in such a way. When did this start? Did we just know that happened I mean, quite some time when, ago, when did, Steve? When did that begin? That, that an editor didn't call you in and say, hey, that's not how we talk out there. When did that start? Do you know? Depends on who you're talking about, Steve. Okay. I mean, there's, there's just no such thing as journalism anymore. There's just dueling narratives. Everybody's got their own narrative. And that's where you come up with uh, my reporters um, using curse words. Didn't you just write a hot takes? Yeah, didn't you just write a column, Steve? There's a difference between skeptics and enemies. I think it's abundantly clear who we are to them. And if they're doing this to Paul Ryan, what do you think they think of you? Yes, you're right. You're exactly right. But this this story is an example. This is one of the worst examples of blatant bias that I've seen. And and resurrecting it nearly three years later, with when there's no impetus, right? There's not some speech Paul Ryan gave today about the subject of uh, uh, in line with this. There there's no reason to bring this out. None, other than a blatant attempt to change a narrative or to create one, to jam your message. We've talked about this before. This is called, in media methodology, this is called jamming. This is an attempt to jam your message through the Overton window, to jam your message into the face of, of, of information consumers. So they have no alternative but to consume it because it's the only message that they're getting. And this is as intellectually dishonest as it gets. Not to mention the timing of it is circumspect or, or, or is, 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 is the circumstantial evidence surrounding the timing is suspicious at best. 
And yet they ask us about why we consume fake news, why we don't believe these people. Maybe, Todd, if they didn't do things like this, people wouldn't turn to fake news. People wouldn't turn to conspiracies if they didn't do stuff like this. Is this one of the, I think it's one of the worst examples I've ever seen. I want to know what you guys think about this when we come back. Because on some level, we need to have a media. It is, it is a requirement. There's a reason it's in the First Amendment, guys, that you have the freedom of a press. We need the public to have a platform by which to hold their elected officials accountable. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. This show is dedicated to bacon every day. The Steve Day Show. A quick little course correction. Remember on election night, it looked like Trump was going to fall about 2 million votes short of what Romney had in 2012. And some people said, hey, caution on that. I mean, it's going to take a couple of weeks, maybe several, to count all the votes. Now that they're almost all the way in, uh, Trump's going to finish with at least a million and a half more votes than Romney received in 2012. Maybe close to, and it might be closer to two million more by the time we get done. So, uh, for example, you've got this recount going on in Wisconsin as we speak, and Trump, I think, is up a net 26 votes since they started the recount up there. But hey, Jill Stein is 9.5. How much was it? Nine million dollars richer or something. Indeed, she is. So we're so we're talking about the sorry state of media and. We've been pointing out this Paul, this three-year-old story uh, with taking Paul Ryan's 2014 CPAC speech totally out of context. And how, f- really, for no reasons other than just latent bias, it was brought out today like it was some kind of new story when these comments were almost a, th- a full three years ago. CPAC 2014 was in early March. I mean, this is December. This is almost three full years ago. And I just read something that you just uh, tweeted during the break, Todd, some comments Denzel Washington made about the media, the uh, the great actor. Quote, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Amen. Is that not is that not really a mission statement with where we're at in the media today, Todd? The profession that you and I, you know, we, we, we cut our teeth. This is where we, we yeah. come out of this profession. That's how we ended up where we're at right now. I remember just a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, we talked about the columnists like Nicholas Kristof who wrote some columns about, yeah, the... How the press has an ideological diversity problem. Well, and the New York Times had well, Glenn Beck come in, say, right. hey, show us what we're doing wrong, you know, and it looked for, a, it looked at least for a fleeting moment like professionalism was, may make a, re, make a rebound. Wasn't that adorable? No, this, this, to me, this is the first salvo in destroying Republican credibility in order to salvage something resembling Obamacare to make them so guilt-ridden and let's face it they have a history of behaving very guilt-ridden that they end up cobbling some something together that isn't anything close to the repeal uh, that most people want and let's face it listen we, we, you've talked Steve about the long um, the long march through the institutions forgive me the name um, Gramsci. Bob, Gramsci Antonio Gramsci well yes. listen back then Way back in the day when the progressives put their mind to it, when they had no control, they t- they got the propaganda going. They said, let's do this thing. Do we really think, now that they have no power again, 
But seriously, this is nothing compared to their where they once were in terms of their influence on the culture. They are going to go whole hog on this propaganda war. On the other, this and actually good. I'm glad it only took a couple weeks to find themselves again and said, "Yeah, we." Uh, Nancy Pelosi, they put her in, and she said, "Yeah, we didn't. We're not going to really change. We're not going to do any soul searching. I don't think they want to change. They know who they are, and that, all that helps us is know know who we need to be. If we have any clue." How we need to behave. It is kill or be killed. So let's get on with it. Are they, are they gentlemen so far gone that they simply don't realize they're undermining their ability to do what they actually want to do? Meaning that they're so, meaning that they're not even credible propagandists now, right? It's so easily dismissed, it's so easily ignored now by so many of the American people that even if they, even if they were, even if they are as blatantly and deliberately biased as many of us think that they are, and if the goal is to essentially not even be a, a media but more like a sports information department for progressives, where you are their promotion arm, that you're not even going to be able to do that credibly now you won't even be able to accomplish your stated goal credibly now because your credibility is so far gone you are literally only speaking to the most the the most already converted zealots within your own ranks you understand what i'm trying to say yeah i I think to me too many people in the media and i would say the vast majority actually in the mainstream media live in this alternate reality as do uh, progressives, which would make sense for their bias. But in this alternate reality, uh, they're just playing a game, and the pundit class to them are their own pawns. It's what you've said before, Todd. Um, Bias is not necessarily that which um, is reported. It's that which is not reported upon. And that's just, that's the game to these people. They want to to somehow um, win and embarrass the other side in the skewed alternate reality that they've got going on. And so, yes, I think it is too far gone. I think the media is too far gone. They have, they've, they've shot their credibility thus far. Like I look at something Todd Brian Stelter, who is the media reporter at CNN. He covers the media for right. CNN. And, and he was talking over the weekend. I was on one of the Sunday shows, and I saw a clip, because I don't ever watch these shows, but I, I do check out clips when I get home from church, see if anything happened that's earth-shattering so I can stay informed. And I saw a clip where he said, he, hey, the media needs to start referring to Trump as an authoritarian. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I've been referring to Trump as an authoritarian for like a year now. But, but why wasn't Obama referred to as an authoritarian? Mm-hmm. It's the magic D. See, that's the, see, that's the issue. That is where the credibility is lost. Because I, I definitely think there are authoritarian concerns with Donald Trump. I mean, you look at today, he comes out and rips Boeing for, hey, the, the construction for the new Air Force One's taking too long. Well, actually, it's not supposed to be done until after Trump's presidency is over. He claimed it was $4 billion, It's $1.5 billion. And you even saw Boeing's stock price dip a little bit earlier today after the, after the president-elect's comments. So, I mean, that's where, I, that's where you do want a media to come in and, and check in elected officials to say, hey, do you understand that you need to be responsible with the things you say? Because, hey, today it was only a 1% drop of a stock. If you say something that's untoward and not backed up and a stock plummets, you're going to cost people their jobs all over the country. I think that's a legitimate concern that, a, that, a, that we should have a free press bring to the attention of a sitting president of the United States? Because I do. You guys think that's a legit concern? I do. That's why I spent 12 years working in the media, despite how liberal it was, so, but, because so, I fundamentally believe in that. So then tell me how this media is going to be able to do such a thing 
when Brian Stelter wasn't on Meet the Press saying we should we should refer to Obama as an authoritarian when he's just issuing decrees by fiat executive orders, where even his own Supreme Court, he was unanimously ruled against more than any president in American history by a U.S. Supreme Court. And it was almost always when he acted in an authoritarian manner. So how come we, we, we didn't have conversations about referring to Obama as an authoritarian for the last eight years? That is the disconnect. That is the reason why they're in this position. The reason why, it, it, it's simple. It's because of our our sides, whatever that was, whatever that is, because of our weakness. And listen, they have everybody. Yes, they took a hard shot to the jaw, but they didn't get permanently knocked out for the count. They've lost elections before. Look at look how content they are to lose state houses and legislatures, Steve. They are thinking uh, way bigger, and, and they are going to count on us not being able to sustain this. And let's face it, the three of us in this room are skeptical if we can sustain whatever this is. The the problem they have, though, is they have a guy with the largest bully pulpit in the world, Aaron, who this is the world he lives in. This is his native tongue. This is his natural habitat is 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 crap is, is 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 trolling them but he has to produce now he has to produce that's more true. than an electoral victory he that, has to the, govern uh, that is main, true yeah i think the mainstream media as we know it will eventually collapse unfortunately the solution is not our narrative or their narrative it's just journalism finding the truth and i don't think anybody on either side for the most part has done or will do a very good job of that yeah i'm not arguing that they put our narratives out there i'm no, arguing they just, don't put any narratives out there You're listening to Steve Dace. Liberals seem to have a tough time handling so much truth all in one place. Stop! 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 It's the Steve Dace Show. Have a holy jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So, where does the Second Amendment stand in light of last month's election results? To get the answer to that question, our old friend Larry Pratt from Gun Owners of America returns. Check out their website, gunowners.org. And Larry, Merry Christmas, my friend. Good to have you back. How are you? Good to be back. I'm doing just fine, and good to hear your voice. So, Larry, kind of give us uh, the uh, the big picture view. Where is the Second Amendment as it relates to the election results? Where do things stand now? Well, one thing that ought to be pretty obvious: it's a whole lot better off than had uh, uh, Mrs. Clinton been <laughs> the victor. Uh, Trump, I think, uh, is genuinely interested in signing a national carry law that would treat your concealed carry permit the same way that your driver's license is. It's a legislation that's been carried uh, by Senator Cornyn, Representative Stutzman. It's uh, just like about 100% sure to be introduced in the next Congress. And I think with uh, Trump saying that that's the kind of legislation he wants to sign, I'm hopeful that in a, a several weeks, few months, we'll have that on his desk and with his signature. And so anybody with a concealed carry permit in whatever state could go to, oh, some 
benighted place like New York City or San Francisco where nobody that lives there hardly able ever to get a permit to have a gun to carry to protect themselves. Now I can just see it. The city fathers' heads will explode because if there's a convention of people coming from say a, a cattleman's convention and i'm i'm just guessing a stereotype that maybe three quarters of them would be packing <laughs> well, the crime in san francisco would just plummet because <laughs> there'd be so many armed people uh, you're referring to larry pardon me you're referring to what, what the media often uses uh, the term reciprocity that's what yeah, you're referring to right recognition uh, because it's it will tell states just like you recognize my Virginia driver's license when I'm in Iowa, so you've got to recognize my Virginia carry permit when I'm in Iowa. Whether or not the states have any reciprocity uh, between those two states, it'll now be just exactly like your driver's license. It's an Article Four of the Constitution power of the federal government, the same way that those driver's licenses are recognized that fell under Article 4, that the acts of other states, the full faith and credit clause, uh, they will have to be recognized by all the other states. Are you concerned, uh, listen, I'm a strong advocate of what you're talking about, but just for the sake of argument, let me literally play devil's advocate here for a moment. Sure. Are you concerned that the left will use this legislation as a launching point to sue in federal court and create an entire phony judicial review process of, of, of the actual meaning of the Second Amendment in the first place, meaning that, there, that states will go, that, that some judge somewhere will rule this is too sweeping and essentially set the precedent that states can opt out of the Second Amendment if they want to. Well, uh, then states would be opting out of driver's licenses as well, as well and I think that's uh, probably as ridiculous as opting out of the Second Amendment. So I don't think that argument is actually going to pass the laugh test. You're probably right. Uh, liberals will try anything. That's why they're so funny. But uh, <laughs> I, I really don't think they're going to get very far with it. I will. I will bet. Um, I'll, I'll bet my mortgage next month that within a year of this law passing, they will find a federal judge who will set this precedent. And well, the question will be: wanna... How do we react? In response, at some point, Larry, we are going to have to stand. I don't know what kind of crazy these judges have to come up with, but but at some point, we're going to have to say you don't have the power in the Constitution to do what you are trying to do. Amen. At some point, I would just dearly hope that there's a governor, at least one, somewhere that will say, "Well, Judge so and so in San Francisco, bless your heart, you've made that ruling, but you know what." You and who else are going to enforce it here in my state? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we we let them make up a right to, for child sacrifice. We let them make up fake marriage. We let them make up, cr- tr- you know, uh, crazy demented trannies in the women's bathroom. I, I mean, we just literally make them make stuff up. I don't know how much cray cray they have to get here. I mean, before we, we decide, you know what, enough now. We, 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 it was a nice run, but it's time, to put, uh, it's time to close up Pandora's box. And frankly, if they want to choose to draw the line on uh, the Second Amendment, um, be my guest. Because that it seems to me to be a place where we have a lot of um, 
a lot of people willing to be with us. Uh, unlike even abortion, which uh, I think a lot of people that uh, say are uh, strong supporters of the Second Amendment also oppose, uh, they're not going to have an abortion, and their wives and daughters are not going to have abortion. So it's rather more of an academic issue. But when you start talking about taking away my gun mm-hmm. and making me defenseless in some uh, godforsaken place like southeast Chicago, then no, sir. Uh, now you've chosen to pick a fight. All right, more with Larry Pratt from Gun Owners of America here in just a moment. Stay tuned. Listening to Steve Dace. Liberals seem to have a tough time handling so much truth all in one place. Stop! 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 It's the Steve Day Show. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Hey, chances are your current phone carrier is using your money to undermine your values, and that's why Patriot Mobile was created to give conservatives like us a chance to put our money where our values are and support a company that we know will reinvest our money right back into those values. Patriot Mobile offers nationwide talking and texting, high-speed 4G LTE data at competitive prices, and they'll donate up to 5% of your monthly bill to a conservative organization that you choose. That means you're going to get the same quality service, the latest and greatest tech, competitive prices, but this time for causes that you believe in. So go to PatriotMobile.com. That's PatriotMobile.com. Or call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And when you decide to make the switch, make sure to use the promo code STEVE to get the $35 activation fee waived on up to two phones. All right, back here with Larry Pratt from Gun Owners of America. Again, you can check out their website, gunowners.org, gunowners.org. So I don't know if you saw this yesterday, Larry, but I thought of you when I did. General David Petraeus, one of the names being bandied about for Secretary of State, who I don't understand why in the world... We want to go ahead and put another person in charge of the State Department who's known for mishandling classified intel. He narrowly avoided prison for pillow talk. And, and if he got the job of sex state, he'd actually have to check in with his probation officer. That's not a troll. That is the truth. His probation, he'd have to check in. Right, we, we, might have the only, we might have the only top diplomat in the world who'd have to check in with their probation officer. Uh, so of all the people to select, why him, I don't know. But here's why this is relevant with having you on. Uh, on one of his media appearances yesterday, General Petraeus was asked uh, who he voted for in the last election. And he said, and I quote, I make it a habit not to get political, so I don't vote. So he makes it a habit not to get political, Larry, which is exactly why when the, we last heard General Petraeus's name, he was forming an anti-Second Amendment group earlier this year because he doesn't like to get political, Larry. Right. Um, so much for his ability to tell the straight truth. Uh, he uh, joined in with Mark Kelly, uh, Gabriel Gifford, a former representative from Tucson, joined in with his organization, Veterans uh, for Common Sense, I believe they call it. And I think uh, you and I both have the same notion that when a group is using common sense uh, 
in the title, the chances are somewhere around 95% that it's a left-wing group, and it, uh, at least in, uh, involving the Second Amendment, it always means they want to grab your guns. That's what common sense means to these people. And so it is uh, with the good General Petraeus. Uh, he's involved in advocacy of gun grabbing. Now, isn't that neat? Uh, he doesn't mind uh, uh, mislaying, shall we say, a few documents, uh, but that's okay. But you and I uh, packing a piece out on the street uh, when there's no police around to protect us, well, that's not okay, apparently, according to him. Uh, that's, uh, I just think this is way over the top. We don't need somebody like that. And I hope his record is enough to sink him like lead uh, when it comes to the attention of the Trump selection people. Final question. You mentioned unquestionably the Second Amendment is in better shape with Hillary losing than if she had won. But, you know, and this is something that I know you and I largely agree on because we've had some of these conversations in the past. Better doesn't always mean good, right? I mean, I suppose it is better. Two people want to break into my home and, and, and do and do ill will towards me and my family. One of them just wants to shoot off my kneecap. The other one wants to slit my throat. I suppose the one who wants to shoot my kneecap is, quote-unquote, better. But no one would say that's objectively good, right? So, yes, I think we all agree the Second Amendment is in better shape since Hillary lost. But do well, you think it's, it's in good hands with President-elect Trump? It's in less bad shape before we see any evidence of action. But if the actions match some of the words, then we will see his signature on this national recognition carry bill. I think we'll see um, the State Department told to butt out of gun control uh, to stop trying to sign us on to U.N. treaties that would uh, obligate us to have licensing of gun owners and registration of guns, things of that sort that have been uh, very much on the front burner of President Obama, and happily we've been able to pretty much staunch that, but it, at great cost. We've had to invest a lot of uh, treasure fighting him, mobilizing people, making sure the Congress knew what was happening so they, they were standing guard for us as they're supposed to. Uh, now, hopefully, uh, if we can expend the same amount of energy, we may actually be able to be on offense. What? A change. We'll see. Hasn't happened yet, but uh, that's what I'm uh, going to see if we can't pull off. My friend, always good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us tonight. All the work you guys do there at GOA. God bless you. Merry Christmas, okay? And Merry Christmas to you. Thanks so much. All right, thank you. That's Larry Pratt, Gun Owners of America. Again, you can uh, visit their website, learn more, or think about joining at gunowners.org. That's gunowners.org. So the Second Amendment... Is it in better? It's in. I think we all agree it's in better hands. But that's because, I mean, Hillary. What would have been in her, the Second Amendment would have been in one hand and a hatchet would have been in the other if she'd have been elected. I think we all recognize that. Mm-hmm. But is it in good hands? I mean, if he signs national reciprocity, that would be one of the most sweeping pro Second Amendment reforms ever. Don't you think? Oh yeah, I, I, you would have to think so. I mean, when's the last time something like this? happened, uh, especially to the Second Amendment. Can can either of you think of something like that? I, I can't, Todd. You? No. And on this issue, as with all other issues, and now particularly since 
the left has n- has none of the legislative power at the federal level. All of this is going to come down to what level of resolve Trump and company have when the courts do what they do. And I don't think there's any doubt they're going to find some wackadoodle leftist judge to use review of this particular policy as a means yeah. by which to actually completely outkick his coverage. I don't think there's – does anybody doubt that's going to be the reaction in the progressive court system at all? No. no, no. Why would so it not I, So, again, I agree. That will be the test. At at some point, I don't know what level of I, – I, before I thought, well, we'll never let him get away with that, and we did. And then I thought, well, we'd never let him do – and we exactly. did. And then I thought, well, no, that, we did. At some point, I just I, – I don't know what it would be now. Because we've already crossed that point nine times. But at some point, they will go to a level of crazy that will cause us to say no. I just don't know what it is. You're listening to Steve Dace. He's got his finger on the button of truth. Put the finger down. It's Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. You know, we've had an ugly political year. And that means the word refugee, for so many now, has a negative connotation. And and we understand uh, what happens when you don't vet people properly. You import them into your culture. We're seeing what's happening in Europe as an example. But that doesn't mean there's still not uh, really a humanitarian crisis happening throughout the Middle East. And that's why... This Christmas, we are partnering with Heart for Lebanon. We, we want to take the gospel to those innocent children caught in the crosshairs of terrorism and being ravaged by war right there where they live. We want to take the gospel to them. We want to take it right to children like Manny. Like so many children, violence was all Manny and his brother have ever known. The war in Syria forced his family to flee Lebanon, but for Manny, the war that was going on inside his home was even worse. Denise, the director at Heart for Lebanon's Beirut Hope Center, explains. He was crying, he was bleeding, and he told me that he's been crying. It was wintertime, it was raining. His shoes had a hole, and he didn't want his feet to get wet, so he kept on crying, and his dad was like, we can't, you know, you have to wear the shoes, go wear it. And he didn't want to wear it, and they want to wear it. And finally, his dad lost it. But he couldn't control himself, so he kept on hitting him until he was bleeding and was sent to school. The abuse that Manny was receiving from the hand of his own father, coupled with all that this little boy had experienced in Syria, turned him into one of the most aggressive students we've ever seen at the Hope Center. When he threatened other students with a knife on the playground, Denise was faced with the difficult decision to remove him from our school. But Heart for Lebanon went into action, reaching out in God's love to Manny and his family. The change in their lives has been remarkable. The abuse at home has stopped, and Manny, once an aggressive, mean-spirited young boy, is learning the violin, his life transformed by the gospel. Not only he became not aggressive, not only he's becoming, he's volunteering in our children's program with his brother, giving so much love and care to children that are in our centers. Your gift of $98 will help Heart for Lebanon bring the gospel to 18 refugee kids just like Manny. 
Be a part of rescuing these children for Christ before someone else captures them for evil. Please give now and thank you for being as generous as you can. I've never thought I will be able to come to Lebanon and learn violin. I thank the Lord for that. Your one-time gift of $98 is going to reach 18 children like Manny with the gospel. Call now, 844-441-9966, 844-441-9966, or you can click on the banner on my website at stevedace.com. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. And a lot of you are doing so. Still, a, a lot of well wishes and congratulations are pouring in after yesterday's big announcement that uh, our book, A Nefarious Plot, is going to be developed into a major motion picture with a release in uh, 2018. So I just want, I, I can't possibly respond to everybody. Well, I could, but then I'd lose my job because it's all I'd be doing for the next couple of days. So I just, I just wanted to say I wanted to reach as many people as I possibly could right now and just say I, I'm humbled and honored. Thank you very much. I mean, there's no way we'd have opportunities like this if it weren't for those of you. And I even went to the Amazon page today and the wife was showing me. We're still getting a ton of four and five star reviews for the book. So just thank you. I, I I, I don't know what else to say, so I'll just keep it as simple as I can. Thank you very much. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up later in this hour, is this political correctness run amok or is it prudence? That's coming up here at the bottom of the hour. But Steve Bucci here joins us now from the Heritage Foundation. He's a former top Pentagon official. And he, one of the things he takes a look at there is foreign policy, national defense policy there for Heritage. And he joins us now to talk about James Mattis, who will be the next Secretary of Defense of the U.S. military. And uh, Steve, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, Merry Christmas to you, and thanks for having me. I appreciate you letting me be on the show. So James Mattis, uh, a lot of conservative excitement. Uh, I wouldn't say everything that I've looked at from conservatives has been a rousing endorsement, but I'd say well over 80% of it has been. Why? Why does he have such wide-ranging approval, Steve? Well, he's kind of a legend in the military. Uh, He's known as a a rifleman's general. Uh, He's served in command at every level of the Marine Corps. Uh, he, he's never been the commandant of the Marine Corps, but he's, he's been a combatant commander, was our, our primary guy in, in the Middle East. Uh, and he's a man who always speaks his mind, always cares about the people under him. 
He's just sort of the quintessential military leader. So he's a great choice. I want to get the one criticism I've seen. Well, I've seen a couple, but one that has been up there consistently. Let's just address it here from the outset, that he's made some comments about Israel that weren't necessarily supportive, uh, seem to indicate that they're hamstringing our foreign policy to some extent. Uh, Can you respond to that? Can you can you kind of get is, is there anything to that or is that being taken out of context in your view, Steve? Uh, I believe it's being taken out of context. Uh, you know, he obviously said those things uh, in, in the midst of a, a larger speech uh, talking about the Middle East and our policy there. But he's he's worked repeatedly with the Israelis. He, he has acknowledged many times, both before and after those comments, about the importance of Israel as our primary and, and by far most reliable ally in the Middle East. I don't think he has any issues with with Israel at all that are negative. Uh, I think that's something uh, that it, it, I believe if you talk to most Israelis, will tell you, look, this this guy's the real deal. They respect leadership. I he is not an enemy of Israel in any way, shape, or form. All right. So, is there anything about this before we get to more of of his laudits? Is there anything about him that gives you pause? at all, that, that you have any reservations about at all? Uh, the only thing that, uh, frankly, doesn't give me pause, but, you know, has been raised is, you know, he's he has not been out of the military for the, the legally required seven years before he could become the Secretary of Defense, and that is going to require a, a, a second law being passed, basically to give him a waiver of that requirement. Uh, that's something we don't do and nor should do very lightly because it's there to maintain our separation of, of, you know, the military and the civilian leadership with the civilian leadership always being predominant. But I think in this case, it's, it's a legitimate use of the, the ability to, to grant that waiver. Uh, we are facing dangerous times and, and the DOD has taken a lot of hits lately and would be nice uh, and I think very beneficial for the country and for DOD to get a leader of Jim Mattis's stature and, and ability into that position. So in your view, his candidacy is superior that this is worth making an exception or, or setting a precedent for? Uh, it is, and it wouldn't be setting a precedent. We've done it once before in 1950 for General George C. Marshall. Uh, who, again, an exceptional person at an exceptional time during the high Cold War, and uh, we really needed him uh, to do it, and, and they made that exception, and that's why the provision is there. I think doing it once every, you know, 60-plus years is not that, you know, is not going to overturn the principle of, of civilian supremacy of the military. Uh, and in this case, having someone like Jim Mattis, who has made a career of speaking truth to power to uh, to be there to to help President-elect Trump to, to speak to him if he thinks he's doing something that's not the, the best course of action, I think overall benefits America. What is the what is the state of the Defense Department that he will take over in January? Where do you think now that the election is over, I understand there's. You know, there's a there there is telling the truth, but in a way that that fashions a a message in an election year that gets people's attention. Now that that's all stripped away, 
And and we're we're down to the brass tacks of actual governance now. The fog of war, you use an expression, has cleared. What is if we're going to frame shape the battlefield of what he asked, what he's looking at at the Defense Department, at the DoD? Where do things truly stand right now, Steve? Well, uh, I'll give you a short answer, but before I do that, they, for folks, if they want the longer answer, they should go to heritage.org and look at our U.S. index of military strength. It's a downloadable document. We just put it out a couple of weeks ago. It's the third one we've done, and they can get all the detail, all the the facts and figures that will back up what I'm about to say uh, for free. They just download it. Uh, And But the, the bottom line is right now we're facing more threats than we faced in a long, long time. Uh, the operating environment, the world in which we face those threats, uh, has gotten at best more ambivalent towards us as we, you know, have gone fast and loose with some of our allies and been very conciliatory towards some of our adversaries. And the lack of funding, the lack of emphasis that the military's gotten under this uh, present administration put us at a place where we are not adequately manned or equipped or, frankly, trained to really protect the, the interests of the United States in the way that our strategy says we're supposed to. So we're, we're at a bad place. We need someone to fix this problem. Uh, it, he's not going to be able to do it overnight, no matter who he is. Uh, and even if the you know, large funding stream was turned on, it would still take a while to, to rebuild the military. But I think having someone like Jim Mattis to take the reins at this time will at least give us the shot to get back on the right track, because right now uh, we're at some degree of risk. Are you are you telling us the problems are systemic or are they more morale? Are they more ideological? Are they more cultural or are they or are they systemic, Steve? Uh, they're, They're all of the above. There, there are systemic problems. We, we don't have enough personnel to really do the mission, uh, the, the pantheon of missions that our military face as a global power. Uh, the, the training level is down because they're, they haven't had enough money to do adequate training. So our pilots are not flying. Our, our uh, special operators are not doing the, the kind of practice that they need to do for their proficiency. Uh, maintenance is not being done on ships or on aircraft. Uh, so those systemic problems are all there. But there's also, you know, they've been used for eight years as a platform for uh, social experimentation mm-hmm. to a degree that has degraded the, the readiness and the morale of our military. That, that needs to be turned around as well. So uh, both those areas, both the cultural psychological morale part of it, but also in the the hard power uh, systemic issues, uh, we're down in all those things, and it needs to be turned around. Steve Bucci is our guest. He is a former Army Special Forces officer, former top Pentagon official. He is now uh, an expert for the Heritage Foundation. We're talking about the appointment of General James Mattis as the head of the Department of Defense and what it means for America's military readiness. I want to talk about that social experimentation when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace.
When you're upsetting everyone, you know you're doing it right. You are human tennis elbow. You are a pizza burn on the roof of the world's mouth. It's Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Steve Bucci is here with us from the Heritage Foundation talking about the appointment that was met with a vast majority of cheers from conservatives of General James Mattis by President-elect Donald Trump to be the next head of the Secretary of Defense. You mentioned the, the social engineering experimentation uh, that's been going on in, inside the Defense Department for the last and the military for the last eight years. Men like Mikey Weinstein and others that have become essentially um, uh, parasitical influences on our military. Does, is, is, is General Mattis going to purge these elements from the Department of Defense? Well, one certainly hopes so. Uh, you know, I won't put words in, in Jim Mattis's mouth. I haven't heard him say that, but uh, he's the kind of guy who focuses on what actions, what programs will increase combat capability and readiness, not allow the, the military, just because we can order them to do things, to be the platform to, to test out everybody's favorite theory on, on where society should be going. Uh, Mr. Weinstein is, you're right, he has been, you know, a troublesome uh, element uh, throughout, you know, since his kid was in the Air Force Academy. Uh you know, he's forgotten the, the idea that we do have religious freedom in our country, which is not freedom from religion, but freedom of religion from government. Uh, and, and he takes it way too far, and hopefully his influence will be ended uh, with this new administration. And, uh, you know, if he has a, a legal and legitimate complaint, he can take it to the courts. But this idea of him pulling the strings and, and DOD dancing hopefully will end with this new administration. One of the things that's irked me is, is even though I'm a, uh, I'm a private citizen, I've never enlisted. I come from a family and I married into a family where my, my wife's an army brat. She literally is a graduate of Fort Campbell high school. Dad was in the 101st airborne. So like a lot of American families, I have a, a lot of military ties in my family and it's really sickened me to see over the last few years, the restrictions of our soldiers uh, and their constitutional freedoms, Steve, the very freedoms they are vowed to give their lives to protect being denied of them. You just mentioned religious freedom or, or freedom of speech. And we've seen chaplains, uh, you know, court martialed for praying in Jesus name. The case that went on a couple of years ago where a, a lesbian uh, commanding officer forced her subordinate to give his opinion on gay marriage, even though he'd never had any issues whatsoever. He had served her just fine. No, uh, rep- no reprimands, whatever. She she compelled him to answer. He did. And then she tried to get him court-martialed or the, the inability of our soldiers on military bases to protect and defend themselves uh, as Americans can in many places around the country with the Second Amendment. Are we going to give our soldiers the very freedoms that they're willing to go into some of the worst armpits on this planet to defend? Are we going to give them back to them? Uh, well, again, uh, you know, I have not heard those specific words come out of General Mattis's mouth. Uh, those are the kind of questions he'll get asked in his confirmation hearings. Uh, but again, one would hope that we would, uh, you know, at the very least, move away from, you know, the kind of things like you described with that commander. Those kind of shenanigans are just unacceptable. 
they have been acceptable with this particular administration, but hopefully we'll go back to the kind of good order and discipline decisions as opposed to what's the uh, the, the biggest progressive uh, axe to grind uh, in that particular week. We need to get away from that, let our commanders command. They've got plenty of rules and restrictions on them that are legitimate and appropriate to the chain of command. We don't need to be making up new ones to uh, try and force them to to follow a progressive uh, agenda. Some of the things Donald Trump said during the primary, targeting the 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 loved ones of and family members of terrorists, um, using uh, beyond I guess we'll call them uh, what do we call them uh, advanced interrogation techniques or the waterboarding, but going In, to full enhanced, blown torture. Yeah. yeah, enhanced. Thank you. Uh, going to full blown full, full blown torture. Where, where's General Mattis on these things? How much of that is campaign hyperbole? Is there any particular conflict there between General Mattis's DOD and if Mr. Trump were to actually try to follow through on those sorts of policies as president? Well, uh, during the uh, discussions with General Mattis, when he was uh, being interviewed, if you will, as, as a prospective candidate for, for the DOD job, apparently they had that conversation and and. President-elect Trump said that General Mattis made the case that torture uh, of that nature just frankly wasn't effective. So he he didn't think it there was any reason to do it. If you know, it's not a punishment. It's, it was designed to elicit information, and if there are better ways to do that, we should focus on those. And that apparently had quite an uh, an effect on Mr. Trump's position. Uh, and again, because he's not. Mattis is not making the argument from some abstract, uh, you know, wringing of the hands kind of uh, mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. but from a standpoint of what's effective on the battlefield, what gets the information into the hands of our people most effectively. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's a conflict there. They, they don't seem to agree 100%. But again, having somebody like General Mattis, when, when faced with that, he will make his best argument to the commander-in-chief for good reasons, and and then the chips will fall where they may. But that's kind of what you want in the Secretary of Defense. Steve Bucci from the Heritage Foundation. Steve, thanks for joining us tonight. Give out that website one more time if people want to get more details on what we've been discussing this evening. Uh, it's at heritage.org, heritage.org. Uh, all the materials there, both the stuff we write on defense and many other issues, is available for anybody who wants to, to download it for free. And uh, we'd be happy to see that information get out to the hands of your listeners so that they can learn themselves and then hopefully use it as they uh, go about their, their business of being citizens. Steve, excellent uh, excellent conversation. I appreciate your contribution. Definitely made us better informed about uh, the man that's about to take over the Pentagon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Again, that's Steve Bucci from the Heritage Foundation. Some reaction, gentlemen, to what you just heard? We had better hope that this social experimentation uh, known as the military, or at least known as the military as it has been for the last eight years, we better hope that this stops very quickly. I have two of my best friends from high school uh, served in the Marines and the Army, both served uh, tours in Afghanistan, and they both 
got out of their respective branches of the military because they saw this up close. They saw all of this crap up close, and as much as they felt a call to serve their country, they they didn't. They, they, there there just wasn't enough incentive there to keep going with uh, going along with uh, what it was that the military was starting to represent. Both of them, um, both of them are very excited about uh, James Mattis. So I hope that this is a uh, a turn in the right direction. It's just letting the military do its stinking job. Yeah, if Mattis can't accomplish turning the military back from a social justice organization into a lean, mean killing machine, abandon all hope. You enter here. We'll come back. Is this political correctness run amok, or is this some much overdue prudence? It involves a certain Christmas song we will discuss next. You're listening to Steve Dace. To find out how you can take their free online courses or receive a complimentary subscription to Imprimus, a monthly speech digest, visit hillsdalefreedom.com. That's hillsdalefreedom.com. Helping to define the modern-day New Age America. We're all kind of... Crazy Tom Banana Pants. It's Steve Dace. But baby, it's cold outside. But baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been hoping that you drop in. I'll hold your hands, they're just like ice. Beautiful, what's your Listen to the fireplace Beautiful, please don't Put some records on while I pour Baby, it's bad out there Say what's in this No cabs to be had out there I wish I knew Your eyes are like starlight now I'll take your hat Your hair looks swell Mind if I move in close What's the sense of hurting my pride Baby, don't hold out Baby, it's cold Outside. All right, so this song uh, was cool before you and I were born, and then it had a bit of a renaissance when it appeared in the movie Elf from about a decade ago, and uh, it's one of the staples. We do family movie night at my house every Sunday night. We rotate which member of the family gets to pick the movie. We have certain times of year where there's certain rules are made, so this time of year you have to pick a Christmas movie, and we always know my oldest, Anna, whenever it's her turn, we're watching Elf. Right. I remember when we fir- the first time Amy and I walked out of the theater when Elf first came out, the first words I said to her after we saw her for the first time, we were going to watch this movie for the rest of our lives. Absolute classic. And it is. And even though I know what's coming, I laugh at the same lines every year. And of course, one of the memorable scenes in the movie is when a naive buddy the elf shows up. Here's a woman who he's attracted to singing the song in the shower, and he sings the Dean Martin part, right? Yada, yada, yada. Okay, so... Ever since that scene, this has become one of the Christmas music station staples, right? So we didn't hear this song for a long time, and now it's back with a vengeance. Well, there are some people on the left who have an an issue with this tune. In fact, there's an article today at Huffington Post. Two singer-songwriters who are unnerved by the lyrics. They have decided to update them with acceptable language. 
The original 1944 lyrics by Frank Loser include problematic lines like, what's in this drink, crooned by a woman, and what's the sense in hurt my pride uh, that is said by the man. So this duo of singer-songwriters, Lydia Liza and Josiah Lemansky, they told CNN that they felt the original song was, quote, aggressive and inappropriate, arguing that the listener never finds out what happens to the woman in the song. You never figure out if she gets home, they said. You never figure out if there's something in her drink. It just leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. The couple's revised lyrics are adorably consensual, says HuffPo, opening with I Really Can't Stay, sung by Liza, and Baby I'm Fine With That, sung by Lemansky. Most notably, when Liza sings I Ought to Say No, 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 Lemansky responds with You Reserve the Right to Say No. Because essentially, they are claiming that this song describes date rape. So, this is, Aaron is in the dating world now, right? Single millennial. You and I have six daughters between us. So, and so gentlemen, is this updated, prudence updating itself, or is this political correctness run amok? Todd, what say you? I'd like to quote the great Steve Dace. No. <laughs> You're not even going to entertain this on any on even a the, rudimentary level. The, one you mentioned the two writers. One one of them is purportedly a man. <laughs> well, the name Josiah, in, of course, in our heteronormative bias, is typically applied to a male. Yes. Name of one of the strongest Jewish kings in all of the Israel, Israelite history, in fact. I, there's no... Weren't we just talking about this? Or, is there no joy left? I mean, how, how can you not listen? Well, I mean, if they're describing a date rape, we don't want... There shouldn't be joy out of that, should there? How can you not listen to the perpetually buzzed Dean Martin <laughs> and, and singing a wonderful <laughs> Christmas song and not just relax a little bit? Relax. I, I, I got nothing so, other than that. So, so you think the you think the mountain has met its mohill? Is that what you're saying, Erzin? It's met something. All right. What do you think? What do you think, Aaron? I said on Friday that the lyrics to this song make me feel uh, extremely dirty because, well, for one, I wouldn't really. I, 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 at the same time, this is this is being taken way too seriously. I mean, yeah, it's a little suggestive but at the same time that's one to take it, it to take it so seriously that you have to publish in one of the large if not the largest political websites uh, revised lyrics uh that's taking it too so far. you guys you guys both think this is political correctness run amok yeah yes you're listening to steve dace trying to keep us all together because, well, the liberals do it. See what you call insanity? We call solidarity. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Interesting story. If you are a fellow pro-lifer over at the stream, Libby McCarter is its author. 
She joins us now. Liberty, it's uh, it's good to have you on the show tonight. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. So tell us what's happening down in New Mexico that pro-lifers listening to us around the country tonight or later on demand that they might want to be a pay they might want to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. So um, Jessica Duran is a woman in New Mexico, and she in 2012 received an abortion from Southwestern Women's Options SWO. Um, and at the time, she did not realize that SWO was the sole provider of um, babies' bodies to the University of New Mexico for fetal research. And um, they have been the sole provider there for many years. Several of the physicians on staff are actually volunteer faculty members at the University of New Mexico as well. And um, now she has learned that they violated informed consent, and uh, there was a lot of these details that she did not realize when she had the abortion, which she also argues she was pressured into having, and so now she is suing um, SWO with the support of New Mexico Alliance for Life, which is a local pro-life group there. What's the potential impact of a story like this? Well, I think the main thing is that it just, um, highlight the, the commonality of abortion centers not providing um, adequate information to women. One of the things Jessica says, interestingly, is that her right to choose was violated. So even for people who are pro-choice, uh, they should really support the right of women to have every detail that's pertinent to their choice. Um, and there was a press, a press conference hosted by New Mexico Alliance for Life um, when the lawsuit was filed and there were actually multiple women at the press conference who were giving their testimonies about how they were also young and, and felt pressured to have an abortion and didn't know everything that was entailed. And I mean, there are just are multiple stories out there. The, the organization actually launched a new website where they're trying to collect um, other testimonials from women because this is a common problem of women just not being informed um, correctly about their options. Um, and this is called, this clinic is Southwestern Women's Options, but they're really not being given all of their options um, in order to, to make an informed decision. You know, I think there's another potential angle to this, Liberty, and it is, uh, it's been a pet theory of mine for many years that the reason why you see the left oppose uh, even forms of late-term or so-called partial birth abortions that are banned, I think, in all but like six countries in the world, except one of them being ours, is because of the market for uh, fetal tissue research. The more developed the child is, obviously, the more that can be learned or ascertained by studying its remains. And if we if we put those sorts of limits on, uh, on 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 killing these children, the further along they are in embryo, the further they are along in their development, well, that's going to cut off a, a potentially viable. Pardon the pun there. I didn't mean to use it, but. A, a, a viable research uh, mechanism uh, for this industry because that's all they see this child as, uh, a mechanism. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, actually, one of the things that came out um, in the press conference is that at a summer camp at the University of New Mexico, um, the director of New Mexico Alliance for Life said that students at the summer camp um, part of their project was dissecting the brain of a seven-month-old baby that had been aborted by SWO and had been ordered, quote, whole and sick from the abortion center. So 
that just kind of goes to show that um, you're exactly right. They're uh, they're interested in harvesting these parts um, for research, and so there's the motivation to have abortions later and later into the pregnancy, and you know to not not give women all the exact information of what's going to be happening to them, and because it serves their purposes. Libby Dimmer Carter from The Stream. You can visit their website, stream.org, and you read this story for yourself, stream.org. First of all, very cool name, Liberty. Secondly, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. So, gentlemen, your thoughts on uh, on this story, which, and, and another, there's another angle to this, too, which is one of the reasons why I'm an advocate of the so-called personhood strategy to end this once and for all, because... I don't know, when we place these regulations and restrictions on people who murder for a living, I don't know why we believe that they are going to honor them, right? I mean, the reason Kermit Gosnell is going to rot in a jail cell for the rest of his life isn't because he violated all of Pennsylvania's waiting periods and bans on abortions post-24 weeks, I think it was in that state at the time. It's because they thought he was running a pill ring. They thought he was essentially selling pharmaceuticals without prescriptions under the table, and that's what brought the authorities in, and when they were there is when they discovered the house of horrors that was essentially, um, you know, his death camp. Similarly here, why would we expect people who kill little children for a living and then go home, hug their own children, have dinner, hey, honey, how'd you do at school? Like, their, their conscience is so seared they don't recognize the, the, that what they're engaged in is actively cognitive dissonance why we would expect them to be honest about things like informed consent when they murder and maim for a living, Todd. Help me to understand this. Well, that that was, of course, true simply as a uh, philosophical and rhetorical uh, argument and, and premise. And then we actually saw on live TV folks giggling and joking while there was a tray of baby parts yes. being sorted through. Yeah. So... We have more than just philosophy now. We have that level of macabre. Of course. Of course. The only reason, again, why this has not all been ended yet is because we on the right, uh, in the church, in the conservative movement, we have not made it so yet. We've we've funded a lot of organizations, some of which are doing very good uh, work, but I think the solution, because it's obvious, at least to me, I mean, how many years has it been since Roe v. Wade? It's obvious to 43, me. 43, I know, because I was years. born the year that it happened. We have to start at the street level on this, because politically, where have we gotten? Our political activism should be geared towards a strategy that ends this. Incrementally attempting to regulate or restrict it is a failure. Because the people we're trying to regulate and restrict will just lie. You're listening to Steve Dace. Everybody needs a hobby. So what's yours? Resurrection. He's bringing back the American way. It's Steve Dace. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap Just as God gave us the greatest gift in Jesus that first Christmas, we have an opportunity to give our greatest Christmas gift this year. 
when we can bring the gospel to a refugee child. Again, these are children. They are innocents. They are caught in the crosshairs of a humanitarian crisis, of, of, of war, of terrorism. And, and we can reach them right where they're at through our partners at Heart for Lebanon. We can reach children like Maley. Bombs explode. Fathers and brothers are lost to war or kidnapped. Mothers flee with their children to the nearest safe country. For many, that country is Lebanon. 52% of refugees in Lebanon are under the age of 18. This is an overwhelming number. Too many innocent eyes have witnessed horrible things done to their families and friends. The majority of these children have been in Lebanon for several years. They cannot attend local schools. However, they are eager to go back to the classroom and learn. Heart for Lebanon's Children at Risk Initiative is designed to meet their educational, emotional, and spiritual needs. This initiative has three hope centers that provide the much-needed education and love that these children are missing. The hope centers teach basic English, Arabic, and math, but more importantly, teach the love of Jesus Christ. For the first time, they are learning biblical character traits that help them live in community with others. Taking a child from a refugee camp to a classroom in a hope center provides a safe and loving environment where children can learn. After several months of being loved on and cared for, children respond by returning the love and looking forward to each day at the Hope Center. Many children have asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior and have become the light in the midst of darkness to the rest of their family, introducing them to Jesus Christ. For just $98, your one-time gift can reach 18 children just like Maley with the gospel. That's the best $98 you're ever going to spend. Call Heart for Lebanon right now, 844-441-9966. That's 844-441-9966. Or you can go to my website at stevedace.com. Click on the Heart for Lebanon banner right there on my website, D E A C E at stevedace.com. One more time, that number is 844-441-9966. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with hour number three here at the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com. 
That's how you can email the show. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up later in this hour, what were the real religious beliefs of the previous century's most notorious figure? And why does it matter now in the 21st century? We'll have that conversation here at the bottom of the hour. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is that time again for our producer, Aaron, to try and corner us with three snotty questions. Nothing is too tawdry or off limits, but there is one rule. Aaron has to answer the same questions, too. Thank you, Steve. Question one, what's better? Now, this has got to be one of the most challenging questions I think I've ever asked. What's better, Christmas Day or the anticipation of Christmas Day? Or Christmas break, as the case may be. I, I think this changes the older you get, right? I mean, when we were kids, there's nothing like Christmas Day. I mean, the anticipation, the can I stay up all night, right? The what's under the tree. And even though I've talked very openly in the past about um, some of the troubles and abuse that we had in our home when I was growing up, what was really weird about our house, though, is... All of that went away, Maybe, and this might be one of the reasons why I am such a Christmas slappy. That all went away from pretty much Thanksgiving through the holidays. I mean, our Christmases when I was a kid, I can remember almost every one of them. They were fantastic. So we were, you know, um, our home could be kind of schizophrenic. It could be very abusive and dysfunctional the rest of the year. But if you came to our house at Christmas time, it was like a Rockwell painting. I mean, it was... I, I can't tell you how great those times were for me growing up as a kid. And even now as an adult, my wife, when um, she will put the Christmas stuff away when I'm not at home after Christmas. She'll pick a day when I'm gone. I'm out, you know, on my Christmas vacation having lunch with a friend of mine or if I'm having some time out with the fellas or I take the kids to the movies. She will then use that time to put everything away because she knows that that was sort of a symbol to me when I was a kid that – all right, maybe we're kind of going back to the way things are normally around here, you know? So I kind of get sad when we put the stuff away. So when I was a kid, our Christmases were great. I had Christmas gifts that were often the envy of my friends, which is why a lot of my friends, when they found out years later what was really going on in our house, were shocked because they saw the, the massive G.I. Joe train set, and I was one of the first kids to get a Nintendo NES and all this stuff, and they were like, we had, we had no idea. So when you're growing up, though, I think the, the day of the presents is the key. And I still have that, you know, joy as a parent when the kids come down the stairs and, and they go to open up their presents. But but when you're no longer the kid waiting for that day, I think the anticipation of the time of year leading up to it, I think, surpasses it. Yeah, I, I'm i at uh, Christmas Eve, which I guess is the, the point right in the middle of all this. But, uh, of course, Christmas Eve when you were a kid and you were at Mass, you were just thinking, okay, let's... Say our amen's father because I got to get home and, uh, you know, we got stuff to get uh, presents to open. Uh, but Christmas Eve mass now is, is, is everything. Uh, children, uh, my my daughter singing in the choir, the, 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 the great uh, hymns, uh, the church 
is full. There is that spirit that, you know, pe- people talk about days have a feel, Monday has a feel, Wednesday has a feel. Well, the, the feel of that is something that is, I'm a writer, Steve's a writer. They're challenging to put into words. It is something divine, and thank God for it. Uh, it is rebirth. It is salvation. It is victory over death. Amen to it all. Hmm. Well said, Todd. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going with the uh, anticipation leading up to being able to see family and, and having some just, um, you know, time that's different than, than the just, uh, you know, the day-to-day. That's always that's always great because it seems like once you get up to, to Christmas break, it's like, bam, it's already over. It's like August or uh, July, uh, anticipating the football season, got training camps, and then the season starts and bang, it's I December. warned Noah when I took him to the big house for that for his first time, in the very first game of the year. Because that was his big Christmas, or that was his birthday gift last year as I was taking him to his first game, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I warned him it would take forever for that day to arrive. And then I warned him, though, as we were walking around the big house for the first time, I said, Young man, now that you're into this, trust me, you're going to wake up tomorrow, and it's going to be Christmas. It's going to go by so fast, mm-hmm. and that is exactly what happens. Yeah, so uh, I, I, I like the anticipation. I think that's the best. Uh, speaking of football, uh, Thursday night has got to be considered one of the biggest Thursday night football games of all time. AFC West leading Raiders travel to Kansas City to take on my Chiefs, <laughs> who are in second place. The Raiders are 10-2, and two and the Chiefs are 9-3. and three. Huge seating implications here of all the regular season NFL games throughout your life. And I'm talking about regular season here specifically. Which has been the most important that you can remember? Uh, the one that I can remember is the most important. More important meaning to your favorite team, or that's yeah. open for interpretation? Uh, it's open for inter- interpretation, but like uh, there, there's a lot riding on that game, a regular season game. Um, a couple that I can recall, the last time my Detroit Lions were in first place this late in the year was 1993, and uh, they played the uh, Green Bay Packers last, week 16 before we had buys. Last week of the year, winner take all for the NFC back then, Central Division. And my Lions won. And uh, we didn't know at the time, the Packers ended up backing into the wild card, so they still made it. And then they played the very next week in the Silverdome, in the, in, the, in the playoffs, and we're winning the game, and I don't know how this happens. Packers, Brett Favre was just beginning to become a star. He was not a star yet. So the Packers really had one good player on their offense, Sterling Sharp. So you'd think at the end of the game, when you're up a few points, the one guy you got to know where he's at is who? 84, right? Somehow, he gets 50 yards downfield, and there's nobody within 70 yards. And Favre throws a pass that looks like it's going to hit the roof of the Silver Dome. Find Sterling Sharp, wide open, touchdown, Packers win. That's why we named our dog Sterling. Is that why you named the dog Sterling? That was the last time my Lions were in first place this late in the year. So I would put that game there. Um... I would put, um, there was a game we played in 1991 when the Lions, see how far back I have to go, when the Lions last were in the NFC Championship game. And there was, and Dallas was just beginning to surge with Jimmy Johnson. Troy Aikman was in his second year, and him and Steve Walsh were still fighting back and forth to see who was going to be the starter. And actually, they were both hurt, and Steve Berline was quarterbacking the team. And the and and so the the Cowboys and the and the Lions were both kind of considered surprise teams. Nobody thought they were really that good. They were both five and two, and they played a game in the Silverdome that year. And when the Lions won that game, 
That was sort to get to six and two. That was sort of the pivot point where you thought, okay, maybe this is going to be a really good team, right? And my original favorite team growing up was the Raiders. Actually, I could pick fifty games with them. I watched growing up because when I was growing up, they were the debate was who was America's team, them or the Cowboys. They they were. I mean, hell, they had their own freaking theme song on NFL Films. Only a couple of franchises get one of those. So to pick one as a, for the Raiders would be much tougher to do. And in the recent era, this game might be. Oh, yeah. I, because the Raiders I, I have barely been, the, remember the Raiders, Buccaneers, the, Super Bowl. Yeah, the Raiders the have been worse they, yeah. as a franchise the last decade than the Lions have been. The Lions have actually been to the playoffs a couple of times. I don't think the Raiders have been since the year after they went to the Super Bowl. And I think that was like an 8-8 eight eight team, right? And they haven't been back to the playoffs since then. Yeah, I think you're right, Todd. Packers, big game, regular season game. Re- well, we regular season is going to be tough in terms of the kind of consequence you're talking about. I, I honestly don't remember the last time we had to really n- nail-bite one up. But there's cosmic significance in a couple of them, I remember. Uh, How about the last game of the year at Soldier Field a couple of years ago when Aaron Rodgers came back from injury? Oh, and you guys won that game to get to the playoffs. You know, we've had a couple hail marys uh, since then, and some yeah, other, and of course the losing to the Seattle Seahawks, and and so yes, of course that was a fantastic. I was going to say that it, the night uh, when Brett Favre's dad died. Oh yeah, the in, Monday night game. He yeah, play the next day, which I was mean, in Oakland. Yes, yeah, that was. Huge and back in the day when I was in college, Don Mikowski was the quarterback, and we were very much the redheaded stepchild of the Bears. But there was a, er, instant replay was in its early infancy. After further too. review, yep. touchdown, and on we went. 2013, Andy Reid's first season as Kansas City. Kansas City was nine and zero heading into Denver to play the Broncos. Huge game on Sunday Night Football. Kansas City ended up losing, but that's probably other than this game. The biggest oh, game. millennials, 2013. <laughs> You're listening to Steve Dace. Drain the Swamp, the Steve Day Show. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We'll cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz. We take a look back at some of the headlines we missed earlier in the evening, but our producer Aaron, based off of the way that uh, he saw you behaving on social media today or, or the way he saw or heard you gossiping into your water cooler. He thinks, hey, this is the buzz. We need to be talking about these things, too. So he's got those headlines. We've got the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it through this first story, uh, so bear with me. But in the Washington Post yesterday, feminist writer Stephanie Land blamed the incoming president for her decision to remain single. Quote, there's no room for dating <laughs> In this place of grief, dating means hope. What is this gal's name? Stephanie Land. I've never heard of her. You heard of her, Todd? Nope. All right, but I, I want to hear more. Oh, d- d- dating Stay tuned. means hope. I've lost that hope in seeing the words President-elect Trump. 
End quote. A single mom and an avid supporter of Hillary Clinton land said that she felt sick when she found out that Trump won the presidency. She said in this op-ed, I wanted to gather my children in bed with me and cling to them like we were in a thunder and lightning storm raging outside with winds high enough that the power might go out. The world felt that precarious to me. Land went on to say that she felt a little scared dropping her children off at school on November 9th because she lives in a red state that elected Trump as if her neighbors and children's teachers had suddenly become dangerous people overnight. She also broke up with the guy she had been dating after Trump won. She said, My focus had been on my community of friends that are my family. I need to fiercely love the people close to me instead of learning to love someone new. The reach, or to reach out to others would weaken the bonds that hold my family together. I've lost the desire to attempt the courtship phase. The future is uncertain. I'm not the optimistic person I was on the morning of November 8th wearing, <laughs> wearing a t-shirt with nasty woman written inside a red heart. It makes me want to cry thinking of that. Well, when I first read that, I had to go back to make sure it wasn't fake news. That's real and that's spectacular. As much as I want to belly laugh and as justifiable as it is since I know everybody else is going to do that I will be the contrarian let me take another tact with with Miss Stephanie here life is too short for this it, it, it just is I mean if you're a single mom then on some level, despite our ideological differences, Stephanie, you are willing to make decisions that aren't always in your self-interest for others. Just by definition of being a single mom, you're willing to do that, on some level at least. I would encourage you, Stephanie, to have that perspective when looking at these sorts of situations as well. I mean, this is one of those things where six months or a year from now, if if... If you don't think that this is all really silly, your priorities are out of whack. Really. I mean, wh what, is, what is the point of life to be this obsessed or worked up about things you cannot control? Really. Is this, does this bring any joy to your life at all? Are, are your kids better off than they were last week by behaving in such a way, by mom modeling this behavior? Are they any better off? I, I hope this guy that you ejected was really a knuckle dragger. Otherwise, you might have just given up a fulfilling relationship for what? Really? There's bigger things in the universe than this. This, this isn't worth it, Honestly. So, you know, as much as I'd like to laugh, and I think it's totally justified, and I did hear about this story earlier today, and the first time I heard it, I did laugh. But since Todd already laughed, there's two, there's two re reactions to a story like this. Both, I think, are legit. One is belly laughter until you need to change your undergarments. And the other is, seriously, you were put on this earth for far more than this. I mean, what is the point of your life 
if 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 you're going to take yourself this seriously, Todd. She used the term optimist that before this election happened, she thought she was an optimist. I quote the great Inigo Montoya. Uh, does not that word does not mean what you think it means? Yes. Yeah. You are perpetually living somewhere in the area between neuroses and psychoses. Uh, heal thyself uh, before you go on writing, ranting, creating. You just embarrassed yourself. I mean, yes. Self awareness, much? No. Uh, no. Clearly not. None. If you're if you're an optimist and in the next saying you're an optimist in the next sense you're saying your favorite T-shirt is the one what with a heart and that says what nasty woman nasty yeah. woman yep. um no please you you, you uh, there was a picture of you I think you you appear to be in your late twenties I'm I'm just guessing a lot of life left to live Steve is absolutely right you aren't what you think you are which means you are desperately unhappy and pessimistic there is joy to be had out there. And you don't have to think exactly like Steve or I no or Aaron. Yeah. But good grief. Pull back. Uh, next story and a bit of quick trivia. Republicans in the House and Senate introduced resolutions on Monday denouncing the Smithsonian for omitting Supreme Court uh, Associate Justice Clarence Thomas from the recently opened National Museum of African American History and Culture. The bit of quick trivia is... Who funds, for the most part, the Smithsonian? Taxpayers. And all we could do was denounce this? Well, they sent a sternly worded letter. Aaron, this is the Republican Party oh, after right. all. That's right. I keep forgetting. Yeah, and no. at the Smithsonian, persists, Todd, in this clear act of cultural Marxism, Senator Cornyn is going to follow up with a Facebook post. I would promise. I unlike I mean, you when you talk about Washington D.C. You talk about going there for a junket or something. You, uh, you can smell the sulf- sulfur. Yeah, the air. You can smell the air when you get off the plane. I'm yeah. I'm a museum slappy, a monument slappy. I I, I do love that aspect of Washington D.C. I, I I genuinely do. And I was just there about a year ago with my wife as this building was being finished. And there. It's it, this goes way beyond just this example. How how we are balkanizing our historical tours now. Th- there's instead of integrating the history, uh, so we are the melting of pot, learning from our mistakes. Now we're melting, all right. Oh yeah, you have the, this museum over here, this museum over here. That's about all these special things, and sometimes that is warrant. There is a Holocaust museum there. It is unbelievable, but. Just if this is what happened, if you're going to balkanize this, doesn't this mean that it's easier to delve into propaganda, which is what this is by omission? The fact that he's not in there means it wouldn't have happened in a comprehensive telling of African American history within our total story. This is going to get worse before it gets better. Well, isn't it pretty much our national motto nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> Listening to Steve Dace. You'll have to pry this microphone from his cold, dead fingers. This is Steve Dace. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. 
Well, when this book came in the mail with a pitch, I'm not sure who was more excited about this, me or my wife, because both of us are big history buffs, right? So that explains why we think this is something our audience needs to know about and to hear about here in the 21st century. But uh, we're going to talk to the author here, Richard Weikert, and get his uh, thoughts on why this is a relevant topic for us today. The name of the book is Hitler's Religion, The Twisted Beliefs That Drove the Third Reich. And we want to welcome Richard to the Steve Day Show here tonight on the Salem Radio Network. Richard, how are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing fine. So, Richard, let me start there. You know, we we just uh, we do this little silly segment on our show every night called Three Questions, and it may be off-the-wall topics, and our millennial producer gets to ask the questions, and he asked about, hey, what was the most meaningful regular season game of your favorite NFL team? And uh, my other contributor here, Todd and I, are the same age, and we're going back 20 years ago, and Aaron says, man, I can remember back in 2013. Right, so that's that's that is the that's that's the era in which we live. 2013 is the wayback machine, right? So explain to our young producer Aaron and others like him why the religious beliefs of the previous century's most notorious figure are relevant for this century. Well, actually, it's still a pretty live debate that's going on. Uh, in fact, I open up talking about how uh, Richard Dawkins at one point was arguing that Hitler was a Christian, and Pope Benedict was arguing that. Uh, that uh, Hitler, uh, the Nazism, was a result of secularization and the rejection of God and Christianity and such. So there's actually a lot of people who are still debating this uh, very topic, and a lot of times they're using it uh, for purposes of trying to uh, tar the other side, the people who are opposed to them. So atheists use this quite regularly on various websites to try to say, look, Hitler was a product of Christianity, the Holocaust was caused by Christianity, this kind of thing. On the other hand, there are Christians who argue on the opposite side that Hitler was an atheist, and so, you know, there's a pretty live debate that's still going on, in fact, uh, around uh, about it. So how do you come to the bottom of an answer, particularly in this era? And this has always been true, right, this idea that history is written by the winners, but, but we are living in a postmodern era where there is a, there's lively iconoclastic attempts at deconstruction in our day and age, right? So... It's it, it's got to be hard to know what are the real objective source materials to get true answers to this, and and what hasn't been worked over by advocates and zealots on both sides, right? Yeah, and in this case, of course, it's especially complicated because Hitler was a consummate liar, and he was always thinking about the audience that he was talking to when he would say anything. So you do have to be extremely cautious, and I'm I'm well aware of this, and this is why I've had to sift through uh, a lot of different materials. Of course, looking at his public speeches, uh, but also his writings in Mein Kampf. I've also looked at the Goebbels diaries, the Rosenberg diaries, uh, various memoirs by various of his associates, like Otto Dietrich and, and uh, uh, Wagner, and there's many others uh, that I've looked through to try to determine. And then also looked at what he did, look at what, he, what his actions were, what policies did he actually follow, what did he actually uh, do during the Third Reich. And so I've tried to take all of those things and put those all together to take all of those into account. Uh, to try to figure out, at least as much as we can figure out, uh, what Hitler's uh, true religious beliefs were. So was he some sort of cultural Christian, meaning he grew up in a dominant Lutheran society, so he just assented to that because that was the cultural expectation, but that, but that doesn't necessarily mean he was a sincere convert. It just means he was conforming to a culture. Was he an atheist? Was he an occultist? What was he? 
Okay, well, he was raised in the Catholic Church, actually. He was from Austria, so he was baptized as a Catholic. He actually went through confirmation as a Catholic as uh, uh, a young man. And, however, interestingly, even when he went through confirmation, uh, there's uh, one of his family members who claimed that they weren't even sure he was going to go through with it because he wasn't too... Uh, favorable toward Catholicism, even by that time. His father, by the way, was also considered a free thinker, that is, someone who's hostile toward Catholicism. And all the information we have is that Hitler, from a, even a very young age, even a, a teenager, and again, it's kind of spotty, we don't have a lot of evidence for his early life, but the evidence we do have suggests that uh, he was probably antagonistic toward Catholicism already as a young man, certainly when he left uh, his home. He never attended church. We do know that, uh, except for uh, going to funerals and weddings and then, you know, uh, various kind of special kind of events like that. But he never attended church after that time. Uh, and we, if you track his statements about Christianity over the course of his political career from 1920 all the way, well, 1919 to 20, all the way up and through 1945, uh, he made lots and lots and lots of hostile comments about Christianity, and I give quite a number of those in my book. So it's clear that he wasn't uh, favorable toward Christianity. However, of course, he had to appeal to the German electorate, and so he does make some pro-Christian comments on a few occasions, especially in public, and I should say only in public. If you look at his private statements that are recorded in Goebbels' diaries and Rosenberg's diaries and in the table talks, which were his monologues that he was giving during the war, uh, his comments about Christian are uniformly negative in private. All right, Richard, hold it right there. We'll come back more with Richard Weichart on Hitler's religion in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. This show is dedicated to bacon every day. The Steve Day Show. Back here on the Steve Day Show with Richard Weichardt. He's the author of Hitler's Religion, the twisted beliefs that drove the Third Reich. Before we had to get to the break, uh, Richard, we were rudely interrupted. You began to talk about what Hitler was saying about Christianity in public versus what he said privately. In public, he made some comments favorable to Christianity, but he even told some of his associates that he was playing the hypocrite. One time, for instance, when he was in prison, and after his beer hall putsch, he told Rudolf Hess, who was his, one of his closest associates, he told him that he regretted that he had to play the hypocrite toward the Church, but it was necessary for political purposes, because he didn't want people to turn against him. So he was, he was pretending to be a Christian at certain occasions when he thought it would suit his political purposes. Now, that didn't make him an atheist, however, and that's sort of the, the, the point that some people jump to on the other side. Well, if he wasn't a Christian, then, you know, maybe he was an atheist. Well, that actually doesn't seem to be true either. Uh, I've never found any evidence anywhere that he embraced atheism. Uh, he, uh, he always thought of some kind, that he believed in some kind of supreme or higher being than himself. But what I have discovered was that on many, many occasions, uh, and just to give one kind of example, in Mein Kampf, he continually conflates nature with God. And so what I've come to the conclusion of is that he thought that nature was God, and this position is generally known as pantheism, mm -hmm. the idea that everything, the entire cosmos, is God. And so that's what I've concluded that his position was. Would that indicate a huge influence, therefore, a, a huge Darwinian influence along those lines? Well, interestingly, because he thought that nature was God, uh, he thought that obeying the laws of nature 
was the way to be moral, that that was what was good morally, was that if you, you walked in harmony with nature. And one of the laws that he thought was uh, one of the more important ones in coming into harmony with was the Darwinian law of the struggle for existence. And Hitler uses the term struggle constantly in his writings. It's actually the title of his book, Mein Kampf, the word Kampf means struggle. Interestingly, in that context, so he's not talking about the Darwinian struggle for existence, he's talking about his own struggle in his life. But if you read into Mein Kampf, and then also especially in his second book, uh, Hitler wrote a book uh, uh, later after Mein Kampf that was never published during his lifetime, and thus it's generally referred to just as Hitler's second book. Uh, if you read Hitler's second book, he starts off talking about how all of life is struggle. That's, the, the, that's actually the title of the first chapter of his second book, is about the life is struggle. Uh, and so he believed that there was a struggle for existence going on, and he thought that it was most important between races, and this is why he thought that he needed to target inferior races, because he thought he was helping nature out. And so essentially he thought that he had a divine mandate and divine approval for destroying those who were weak or that he considered weak and inferior, especially Jews, gypsies, people with disabilities. Uh, and so he targeted those groups because he thought they were inferior, and this would help out the evolutionary process then. Well, this is the subtitle of, 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 of the Bible of this worldview, isn't it? I mean, this is um, the preservation of favored races and the struggle for life by means of natural selection. As that's, that is the fulfillment of this, of this viewpoint, is it not, Richard? Sure, and, and that word, by the way, struggle for life that you just used in the subtitle there. That's, that, uh, that, the, that's the subtitle for, for our audience. The, the word in the German is Lebenskampf. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that's exactly what the Hitler was trying to do. For our, for our listeners who may not know what I just referenced, because that's largely been scrubbed from references to Origin of Species, is the subtitle, but that's the subtitle right. of the book. And if you go to the subsequent right. book, The Descent of Man, and you see Darwin begin to put ethos and flesh and, and, flesh and blood on, this, on his own scientific query, well, what's the moral and philosophical ramifications of what I'm, of, of what I'm asserting scientifically? You see a lot of this play out in the viewpoint of, the, of, 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 the, of Adolf Hitler and the way that he governed accordingly. Exactly. And I have an entire chapter in my book called Was Hitler a Creationist that looks at this issue because I've had some people who say, well, Hitler uses the word creator at various times in Mein Kampf and other places. And so people have argued against my position by saying, well, Hitler was a creationist. And I also have a chapter, by the way, on evolutionary uh, ethics and how that tied into Hitler's views. But Hitler was far from a creationist if you look carefully at his works. Uh, in fact, I've got some quotes from him uh, that where Hitler talked about how humans had evolved from. Uh, ape ancestors 300,000 years ago and different things like that. I mean, it's very clear that he believed in human evolution. He believed there was a human, uh, a human struggle for existence going on, and that he thought that the best thing he could do was to help the Germans win that struggle for existence. So this means what to us today? Because I've got a general rule on our show. We don't make Hitler comparisons. We don't make Nazi references. I think it's intellectually lazy. I think you're dealing with a level of demonic malevolence manifested in, in modern times, the likes of which we've probably never truly seen or experienced. So I think for either side to try and cast aspersions on their ideological opponents in a similar vein, uh, I think is intellectually lazy at best complete malfeasance intellectually at worst, Richard. So, so, so why does this debate matter right now? Yeah, and 
interestingly, of course, I'm a historian, and so in my book, I don't deal with, you know, what are the, you know, current contemporary ramifications of this. I sort of let people to, uh, deal with that on their own, because I, I don't think that's necessarily the place of a historian uh, to do that. But on the other hand, I mean, I think there are lessons we can draw from this. You know, people that have wrong view, wrong worldviews, such as Hitler did. Uh, and by the way, I do lay out in one of the chapters a lot of the influences that uh, were influencing Hitler's ideas, people like uh, Arthur Schopenhauer, Friedrich Nietzsche, I discussed uh, Ernst Haeckel, the German German biologist. So I I discussed a lot of the influences uh, that were brought to bear on Hitler and try to show the way that these uh, things have influenced him. And so, and but I try to engage the debate about secularization. And one of the more more interesting things I think about my uh, work is that I I do show that even though Hitler wasn't an atheist, he did tilt more toward a secular view of reality than a religious view of reality, okay? And that's the tough argument to make, because, of course, again, I, I do argue that he's religious in a sense that he believes in a God and such, but he was more interested in this world, and that's what the word secular refers to, being interested in this world. So I do try to show that uh, that sort of the perils of secularization, I think, is one of the things that comes out uh, in this book, and by the way, which is also something that I brought out in my earlier book uh, that was called The Death of Humanity. I looked at a whole host of other secular ideologies in addition to Nazism and lots of others. So I try to sort of place him in this context of, you know, what is the, you know, what is the uh, impact of secularization on modern society? And I think it does fit into there, even though I don't draw that out in great detail in my book. I think that is one of the lessons we can look at. Richard Weichart, Hitler's Religion, the Twisted Beliefs that Drove the Third Reich. And uh, I've got to take this one home because uh, the wife wants to read it now that we've done the interview, Richard. So I'm looking forward to her feedback on it as well. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, take care. Bye. Listening to Steve Dace. It truly is a force of nature. One of the most powerful storms ever to hit land. The Steve Day Show. Back here one final time on the Steve Day Show. One more quick reminder, please help us help the refugee crisis, particularly the children in the Middle East, through Hope for Lebanon. Again, just $98. We're going to reach 18 children with the gospel for that. That's the best $98 you're ever going to invest, I promise. So here's the number, 844-441-9966. That's 844-441-9966. You can also... Uh, help out by clicking on my website at stevedace.com, D-E-A-C-E. So, gentlemen, what did we learn here this evening? Aaron, you begin. Well, I uh, I learned that, uh, again, one of the things that I learned last night, again, that, uh, you know, things can get better sometimes um, with the, the, the big announcement, uh, announcement that we had last night, but then we read stories like we had in the Nightly Buzz where people just get so wrapped up in themselves and in other politicians and wrapped up in things that they can't control. I think we would do all of ours, and this is not just on the left. I mean, we had that story about the feminist writer who's 
uh, you know, who hit the eject button on her uh, boyfriend. Uh, this is all of us. Just it, it's the Christmas season. Just let things go for a little bit. I mean, don't um, don't be laissez-faire about uh, what you believe, of course, but just stop politicizing everything, at least for a season. I know we don't um, usually make Nazi Hitler comparisons, but I think we get a get out of jail free card uh, tonight based on our interview. You know, sometimes a culture that uh, you know hasn't done so good in uh, military efforts is kind of losing its uh, uh, swagger. Um, they are uh, their 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 pop culture is falling away from the moorings of its uh, founding. You know, sometimes cultures like that they make interesting choices in uh, their leaders, and they kind of delve into weird pseudo-religions. So, I don't know. There might be some of that going on in recent Visage. I'll leave you to connect the dots and what I'm talking about. (laughs) This is... um, This is why we have to be very careful with these kinds of comparisons. Because you can see common threads. But but you have to have the conditions are right. Or the conditions have to be right to see evil manifest itself with such unbridled malevolence as we saw in Germany in the 30s and 40s. And that doesn't mean, I mean, I just wrote a book about demonic influence. That doesn't mean that we don't see demonic influence in all the evil we see today. But you have to have a petri dish of systemic collapse on every front hit all at once to see what we saw happen in Nazi Germany, which is why we have to be very careful about drawing these kinds of comparisons. Back at it again tomorrow, John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 